0: Why are you here? Why are you here on this beautiful, sunny day? We've been sharing, a couple of us, how it feels like we don't live in New England anymore, but suddenly we've been transported to southern Florida between the humidity and the storms and all of that, right? And today is like, the most beautiful moderate summer day with the least humidity and, and yet we're here. We're here. There's really only one reason why. And, and here's why we're not here. We're not here hoping that it's the way we want it to be. We're not here trying to figure out how to make it fix my life. We're not here to maybe get some nugget that will get me through my week or help me deal with that problem or, don't get me wrong, that could happen. But there's one reason we're here. And that is for God and God alone. It is about God. It is for God. It is because of God. It is with God. And it is in God that this is all about. And I'm afraid sometimes that I am so tempted by the contempt of familiarity when it comes to God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you think about God? As we continue this series on the worship training manual... You can crack open your Bible, look on your device to Psalm 105 if you'd like, those words that Kristen read beautifully for us earlier. But an ancient voice in my mind now, it's an old voice, not so ancient. From the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer said this What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What a statement. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. We'll come back to that. Extract from any person a complete answer to the question, What comes into your mind when you think about God? And you might predict the spiritual future of that person. Wow, it's a statement. And really, that's the question, the question, what do you think about God? Now, listening to the psalm that we heard read earlier, we hear talk that's very foreign to us. We hear talk about the descendants of Abraham. We hear about the family of Jacob. We hear about the oath of Isaac. There's mention of the land of Canaan at the end of that reading. But if you go further through the rest of the verses, there's another 33, 34 verses in that psalm. You go through the rest of those verses and you're going to hear about Joseph and his immoral imprisonment and slavery. You're going to hear about the days of Egypt and them being foreigners. You're going to hear about Moses and Aaron and plagues and pestilence. And we hear about them wandering in the desert. And we hear about the beautiful deliverance and freedom of the Exodus. What is the psalmist doing? Another question, better question. What does that have to do with people like us who face the realities of a postmodern, technologically superior world and a life that's lived at the pace of a click in a post? Why talk about lands we do not know that some don't even exist anymore and about people who are simply not like us? How could they relate to us. What does it matter? Well, it's all because of the question, what is your view of God? It's the most critical task you have in life and I have in life because what you set your mind on is the path you will set your life on. So, where is my mind when it comes to God? And so, in this psalm, we see this recounting of the ancient history of Israel, but in it there is one constant, and that constant is revealed in, let's just call it a little bit of a treasure map that has two words pointing the way, and the first word is the word remember, a word that's repeated in that psalm, Remember. In verse 5 it says, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. They are reminding themselves. They are intentionally reminding themselves, turning their minds, reminding, turning their minds to God. But specifically they're remembering this about God, that God is not only transcendent, up high, he is imminent, real close. God is among us. If we go back to some words that we mentioned last week, we must remember the need for relationship beyond ourselves and above ourselves, but we also need to know that someone beyond us sees us, knows us, values us, and cares for us below the surface. There's someone who looks beyond all the surface stuff, who's transcendent and so great, he gets so close. In 2 Chronicles, remember the Lord's eyes scan the whole world to strengthen those who are committed to him with all their hearts. This is the same God that we hear spoken of in the Old Testament. This is the same God we know in Jesus He declared, Jesus declared his equivalency, better said, his equality, his identity as the present tense God when he said this. In John 13, he says, I am who I am. Do you remember when Moses was really struggling and saying, I need to know who you are and what does God say? God says, I am who I am. Jesus uses the exact same words that God the Father used with Moses. My being sustains my being. No one else can say that. Jesus says, I am who I am. That God, that same incredible God who delivered those people from Egypt, that same I am who through all of history has shown up, has gone through the world looking for those who seek him to care for them. That same God then said this, I am with you every single day to the very end of the age. That God. Do you view God that way? Because If we don't view God that way, we're missing the whole point. Dallas Willard said, God's presence is the whole story. This interaction between us and the God who is present with us always is what the resurrection is really about. The meaning of the resurrection isn't just that Jesus won. It's that he is now living with us. He's living with us. So what this psalm is saying, we hear really from Jesus too. What this is saying to us is this. Remember this. God is actually here. Remember how you encountered God. One reason why we need to remember those places where God meets us, especially in those places when he seems so absent, is that we remember that God is actually here. Our Father, who art in the heavens, is a very good translation of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in the very atmosphere, filling this room with His presence, And filling our hearts and lives with his presence. How are you remembering that? How are you remembering that? That God is very present among us. And most specifically, you know what God does? What's interesting? Is God shows up mostly in community. As well as when we're gathered by ourselves with him. But how are you remembering? This is what this worship gathering is about. This is what the sacraments are about. This is what Christian community is about. This is what journey groups are about. This is what reading devotionally and reading scripture every day is about. Everything we do is intended to put us onto the scent of the God who is present with us. Here's a very simple prayer that just orients my heart quickly to that presence. Dan Wilt is the one who first said it that I know, of. I'm sure others probably have, but the prayer goes like this. Jesus, you are here, and I am with you. Jesus, you are here, and I am with you. This is the God who is active among us And it's worthy of our praise. And so we see the psalmist's praise points to God's active engagement with his people. Verse 2 says, sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Remember, what's your view of God? Remember who this God is. That this God is with us. But then there's another word that's repeated in this psalm, and it's the word covenant. Verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. Covenant. Do you know what kind of lo- language this is? This word, do you know what kind of language this is? This is the language of love. Covenant. Covenant language is the language of love. We are reminded that the God we worship is more committed to us than we are committed to him. Now, we often think of commitment as our part, and it is. One of the things we say is, I'm committed to Jesus. There's a problem with that statement, and that statement, the problem with that statement is this. When I say I'm committed to Jesus, that has the idea that I'm the one who's in control. I'm the one in control of that relationship. I'm committed to God. There is some truth that we need to be committed to him, but this is the God of covenant we worship. This is the image of a spouse putting the interests of the other ahead of their own. The spouse who does not commit out of forced loyalty, but out of grateful love. That's the kind of image this is. So this is the God we are drawn to worship. You see, he's the God worth seeking and the God worth worshiping because he does not demand we make the first step in seeking him. God does not say, all right, I'm going to wait here for you to seek me. God makes the first step toward us, toward seeking us. That's how loved we are by God. God is worth worshiping because he seeks to be in covenant relationship with us. Jesus said this, simple words, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Hear that. Hear these words in a new way. Because most of the time we hear these words, I have come to seek and to save the lost. We hear these words as as a get out of hell free card. Pass go and get out of hell free. Seek and to save that which was lost. But hear them differently. I have come to seek. Here the grandest hope and the most glorious intention God has for us, a relationship that's rooted in his love and defined by his shalom, by his wholeness, but found in the God who takes initiative. Do you know that? That God is taking initiative. There is a, a theological term for that. We call it provenient grace. The optimism of grace that we have is not Based in us, it's based in God. That God Almighty seeks us. The God who takes initiative. I have come to seek you. I have come to make you whole. I have come to bring to you my shalom, my wholeness, my wellness, my being, my salvation. I come to you. It's about this God. Do you know how often Paul Andrew has said to me over the years, God is for us. God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He loves us, takes the initiative toward us. C.S. Lewis put it this way, to be loved by God, not merely pitied. But delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Loved by God. What about this? Delighted in. God delights in you. He delights in me. And the last I checked, the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So his delight isn't based on our performance. It's based on his character. It's based on his initiative. It's based on his love. This is our God. And so this psalmist, this Old Testament song, teaches us an important lesson In telling this story over and over of the God who is for them, they are recalibrating their view of God. And that's what salvation does. That's what his love does. That's why it's so transformative, not because of what we do, but because of who God is. If we love God with all we have, we will not stay the same. If we love God with everything we have, we will change. It changes us, not because of some great thing I do, but because of some great thing he does. He changes us. This is the amazing God who changes us. Remember what I read at the very start from Tozer? The law of the soul is this. We move toward our mental image of God. We move towards that image we have of God. So, how do you desire to change? What is it that you've come here today, and maybe even only you know about, and you know it needs to change? What is it that you say, This is that area in my life that I know I want to see progress in when it comes to my faith? Where are you wanting to grow as a person? Are you beginning with what you view as your efforts? Are you creating your to-do list and saying, if I just do this right and get it all lined up? Again, don't hear from me that there's not a place for some of that. But where are you beginning? Are you beginning with your list of what you need to do to make yourself a better person? Or are you beginning with the view that you hold of God? You see, God, God is worth seeking or he's not. He's worth seeking or he's not. And if God is a God who's worth seeking, God is the God who's worth worshiping. Which brings us back to the question. What is my view of God? I don't know where your mind has gone in the course of these 18 minutes that I've been talking about this stuff. But maybe your mind has gone to a place in your life. That's a struggle. Maybe you've gone to a place of... conversation you had earlier in the week that didn't go well. Maybe your mind has gone to a place where you feel the failure. Or maybe your mind has gone to the place of fear about and speculation about what the future might hold. So think of your life. Just think of your life right now as it is right now. And now, let's think of our God. We're in church, we're supposed to talk and think about God, right? So, just for a moment, let's think about God. Hear these words. If you'd like, you can close your eyes, but hear these words Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And what about these words? You alone are the Lord. Say that with me. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. It's our God. That's who this is all about. This one we're talking about. It's the hardest thing to ask, answer. The hardest question to answer is who is God? What is God? People have answered that We all have tried to answer that in so many ways. One of the most comprehensive answers to that comes from an old voice, Adam Clark. And this is how he describes God. God is the eternal, independent, and self-existent being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. Infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient. Inlimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence. In a word, God is a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err. He cannot be deceived. And from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. Have you remembered the kindness of God? We talk about him being holy. We talk about him being just. We talk about him being mighty. We talk about him being the judge of all things, rightfully so. We talk about him being the Lord of all things. But you know, the Bible refers over and again to his kindness. How Titus describes Christmas this way, when the kindness and grace of God appeared. Here we are in July and we're talking about December. (laughs) An infant, when the kindness and grace of God appeared, that's our God. The question for all of us is, do we actually think this? Do we actually believe this? I recently heard someone say there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus or believe about Jesus but don't believe in God, who God really is. Of course, Jesus is God. But do we actually think and live as if we are always in the presence of our magnificent God? I know I don't. And that's why I have to remind myself. That's why I have to determine how to turn my mind. That's why we must put our minds on things above. Now, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter in the crucible of life? Well, let me wrap things up with two thoughts. The first is this. This helps us build resilience in this world. We are lacking resilience in our world. We need resilience in our world. And really, quite often, we take our faith and we fail to see that, especially when you look back in the New Testament times, the book of Acts and what they were going through, talk about having it rough. They had it rough. What we need to understand is that Rough is part of life. But the beautiful thing is, is there's a God worth worshiping who is with us. And that's the key, having the right idea about God. When we have the wrong idea about God, everything else will falter. Because where our minds go is where we will go. Tony Evans wrote this after his wife died. Some of you know Tony Evans, the famous preacher. And their family had gone through a very hard time. And he said this, when you have a low view of God, your circumstances own you. A high view of God says the crisis no longer has the final say. Amen? That's a good word for us. Crises are coming. If you're not there, you will. We all will but it's our view of God that gives us resilience. And as we said last week, those words that you have to sit with and wrestle with and struggle with, with this magnificent God position among us, Jesus brings the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be because a totally good and competent God is right here with us to look after us. Don't deduce from that that everything's going to be rosy. The good news is, is that's the God that's with us when it's not rosy. Build resilience by how we view God. And secondly, we bring radiance to our world. As we place our minds more and more on the magnificence of God, we become different people, and those around us notice that. More and more, we will radiate a life like Christ's, a life of self-donation, a life of generosity, a life of of peace and contentment and faithfulness and fruitfulness. A right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, what we believe about God, but to practical Christianity as well. That's what A.W. Tozer said. So this right view of God is about practical Christianity as well. Misplaced ideas of God create a misplaced view of ourselves which makes it impossible for us to love others. Isn't that what the scriptures teach us really? Luke 19, love the Lord your God, with, or Luke 10, I'm sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself with all your mind, with all your mental faculties. We possess everything we have to think about God, focus on God, let your thoughts be saturated with God, and that will change you. Now, you might be feeling right now at some point you're saying, Pastor Jeff, you're like setting the bar way up here. I can't do this. Welcome to the club. And when the psalmist wrote this psalm, he wrote it to a people who were constantly failing at this. But that's why he wrote it. And that's why we need to remember. And that's why we need to turn our minds towards God. That's why we need to think deeply and largely about the truth that God is for us. That's why we need to remember exactly who this God is. This is why God is worth worshiping because He is a God who's worth seeking. And this is why we can, as the psalmist says, glory in His holy name, His being, His character. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek his face always. Our worship team is coming. And it's time for us to end this sermon. But it is time for us to begin anew worshiping God as he is. Remember why we're here. It's about him. It's about God. It's only about God. Worship is about God. But it's the one most transformational choice we all make. And when we set our minds on God, He transforms our lives so what is your view of God now? What is your view of God? Do you see the magnificent God as always present? Do you see God as the one who is turning? He's turning. He's turning right toward you. He's turning toward Remember what Jesus said, I came to seek and to save, but I came to seek you. He's turning toward you. Now let's turn towards the God who is turning toward us right now. Let's stand together.